You can't be neutral on the moving train. I told y'all before. You can't believe everything that your teacher tell you. Who is your teacher? Your teacher just learned what they was taught. How do you know what they was taught was correct? And that was an excerpt from Writings on Disobedience and Democracy by Vinnie Paz. Welcome to You Can't Be Neutral, a political podcast inspired by Howard Zinn and progressive and radical activism, taking a look at society, media, and politics. You can find back episodes of You Can't Be Neutral at youcan'tbeneutral.com. You'll also find a link there to send me a message and a link there to make a donation. You can make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent. At the end of December in 2023, the South African government submitted to the International Court of Justice a petition or an application instituting proceedings against the state of Israel for genocide. This is the first part of that application. You can find this posted on icj.cij.org. Application Instituting Proceedings To the Registrar of the International Court of Justice, the undersigned being duly authorized by the Government of the Republic of South Africa state as follows. In accordance with Articles 36, 1 and 40 of the Statute of the Court and Article 38 of the Rules of the Court, I have the honor to submit this application instituting proceedings in the name of the Republic of South Africa against the State of Israel. Pursuant to Article 41 of the Statute, the application includes a request that the Court indicate provisional measures to protect the rights invoked herein from imminent and irreparable loss. Introduction This application concerns acts threatened, adopted, condoned, taken, and being taken by the government and military of the State of Israel against the Palestinian people, a distinct national, racial, and ethnical group, in the wake of the attacks in Israel on 7 October 2023. South Africa unequivocally condemns all violations of international law by all parties, including the direct targeting of Israeli civilians and other nationals and hostage-taking by Hamas and other Palestinian armed groups. No armed attack on a state's territory, no matter how serious, even an attack involving atrocity crimes, can, however, provide any possible justification for or defense to breaches of the 1948 Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, whether as a matter of law or morality. The acts and omissions by Israel complained of by South Africa are genocidal in character because they are intended to bring about the destruction of a substantial part of the Palestinian national, racial, and ethnical group, that being the part of the Palestinian group in the Gaza Strip. The acts in question include killing Palestinians in Gaza, causing them serious bodily and mental harm, and inflicting on them conditions of life calculated to bring about their physical destruction. 
the acts are all attributable to Israel, which has failed to prevent genocide and is committing genocide in manifest violation of the Genocide Convention, and which has also violated and is continuing to violate its other fundamental obligations under the Genocide Convention, including by failing to prevent or punish the direct and public incitement to genocide by senior Israeli officials and others. In preparing this application, South Africa has paid close attention to the provisions of the Genocide Convention, to its interpretation, and to its application in the years following its entry into force on 12 January 1951, as well as to the jurisprudence of this court and that of other international courts and tribunals, including the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda, in the International Criminal Court, South Africa is highly cognizant of the fact that acts of genocide are distinct from other violations of international law, sanctioned or perpetrated by the Israeli government in military in Gaza, including intentionally directing attacks against the civilian population, civilian objects and buildings dedicated to religion, education, art, science, historic monuments, hospitals, and places where the sick and wounded are collected. Torture. The starvation of civilians as a method of warfare. And other war crimes and crimes against humanity. Though there is often a close connection between all such acts. South Africa is also aware that acts of genocide inevitably form part of a continuum. As Raphael Lemkin who coined the term genocide, himself recognized. For this reason, it is important to place the acts of genocide in the broader context of Israel's conduct towards Palestinians during its 75-year-long apartheid, its 56-year-long belligerent occupation of Palestinian territory, and its 16-year-long blockade of Gaza, including the serious and ongoing violations of international law associated therewith including grave breaches of the Fourth Geneva Convention and other war crimes and crimes against humanity. However, when referring in this application to acts and omissions by Israel, which are capable of amounting to other violations of international law, South Africa's case is that those acts and omissions are genocidal in character, as they are committed with the requisite specific intent to destroy Palestinians in Gaza as part of the broader Palestinian national, racial, and ethnic group. South Africa is acutely aware of the particular weight of responsibility in initiating proceedings against Israel for violations of the Genocide Convention. However, South Africa is also acutely aware of its own obligation, as a state party to the Genocide Convention, to prevent genocide. Israel's acts and omissions in relation to Palestinians violate the Genocide Convention. That is a shared view of numerous other states' parties to the Convention, including the State of Palestine itself, which has called on world leaders to take responsibility to stop the genocide against our people. United Nations experts have also repeatedly sounded the alarm for over 10 weeks that, quote, Considering statements made by Israeli political leaders and their allies, accompanied by military action in Gaza and escalation of arrests and killing in the West Bank, there is a risk of genocide against the Palestinian people. 
United Nations experts have also expressed their profound concern about the failure of the international system to mobilize to prevent genocide against Palestinians, and have called on the international community to do everything it can to immediately end the risk of genocide against the Palestinian people. The Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, CERD, acting under its early warning and urgent action procedure, has also called on all state parties to the Genocide Convention to fully respect their obligation to prevent genocide. This application by South Africa and its request for the indication of provisional measures called to be considered in that context and in the light of those calls. It is made against the background of South Africa's foreign policy objective for the attainment of a durable peace between Israel and the state of Palestine, with two states existing side by side within internationally recognized borders based on those existing on 4 June 1967, prior to the outbreak of the 1967 Arab-Israeli War, in line with all relevant United Nations resolutions and international law. The facts relied on by South Africa in this application and to be further developed in these proceedings establish that against a backdrop of apartheid, expulsion, ethnic cleansing, annexation, occupation, discrimination, and the ongoing denial of the right of the Palestinian people to self-determination. Israel, since 7 October 2023 in particular, has failed to prevent genocide and has failed to prosecute the direct and public incitement to genocide. More gravely still, Israel has engaged in, is engaging in, and risks further engaging in genocidal acts against the Palestinian people in Gaza. Those acts include killing them, causing them serious mental and bodily harm, and deliberately inflicting on them conditions of life calculated to bring about their physical destruction as a group. Repeated statements by Israeli state representatives, including at the highest levels by the Israeli President, Prime Minister, and Minister of Defense, express genocidal intent. That intent is also properly to be inferred from the nature and conduct of Israel's military operation in Gaza, having regard inter alia to Israel's failure to provide or ensure essential food, water, medicine, fuel, shelter, and other humanitarian assistance for the besieged and blockaded Palestinian people, which has pushed them to the brink of famine. It is also clear from the nature, scope, and extent of Israel's military attacks on Gaza, which have involved the sustained bombardment over more than 11 weeks of one of the most densely populated places in the world, forcing the evacuation of 1.9 million people, or 85% of the population of Gaza, from their homes, and herding them into ever smaller areas without adequate shelter, in which they continue to be attacked, killed, and harmed. Israel has now killed in excess of 21,110 named Palestinians, including over 7,729 children, with over 7,780 others missing, presumed dead, under the rubble, and has injured over 55,243 other Palestinians, causing them severe bodily and mental harm. Israel has also laid waste to vast areas of Gaza, including entire neighborhoods, and has damaged or destroyed in excess of 355,000 Palestinian homes alongside extensive tracts 
of agricultural land, bakeries, schools, universities, businesses, places of worship, cemeteries, cultural and archaeological sites, municipal and court buildings, and critical infrastructure, including water and sanitation facilities and electricity networks, while pursuing a relentless assault on the Palestinian medical and healthcare system. Israel has reduced and is continuing to reduce Gaza to rubble, killing, harming, and destroying its people and creating conditions of life calculated to bring about their physical destruction as a group. South Africa, mindful of the Jews Kojan's character of the prohibition of genocide and the Erga Omnes and Erga Omnes Partes character of the obligations owed by states under the Genocide Convention, is making the present application to establish Israel's responsibility for violations of the Genocide Convention, to hold it fully accountable under international law for those violations, and most immediately, to have recourse to this court to ensure the urgent and fullest possible protection for Palestinians in Gaza who remain at grave and immediate risk of continuing in further acts of genocide. In light of the extraordinary urgency of the situation, South Africa seeks an expedited hearing for the request of the indication of provisional measures. In addition, pursuant to Article 74.4 of the Rules of Court, South Africa requests the President of the Court to protect the Palestinian people in Gaza by calling upon Israel immediately to halt all military attacks that constitute or give rise to violations of the Genocide Convention pending the holding of such hearing, so as to enable any order the Court may make on the request for the indication of provisional measures to have its appropriate effects. To that end, the court should order Israel to cease killing and causing serious mental and bodily harm to Palestinian people in Gaza, to cease the deliberate infliction of conditions of life calculated to bring about their physical destruction as a group, to prevent and punish direct and public incitement to genocide, and to rescind related policies and practices, including regarding the restriction on aid in the issuing of evacuation directives. Mindful of the court's important role in the exercise of its grave responsibility in circumstances in which the genocidal acts of which South Africa complains have occurred very recently and are ongoing, and have not otherwise been subject to judicial determination or detailed fact-finding, South Africa's application and request for provisional measures provide a more detailed factual account than might otherwise be usual. That account draws in significant part on statements and reports by United Nations chiefs and bodies and non-governmental organizations, as well as eyewitness accounts from Gaza, including from Palestinian journalists on the ground, in circumstances where Israel continues to restrict access to Gaza by international journalists, investigators, and fact-finding teams. However, neither the application nor the request for the indication of provisional measures depends on a determination by the court of each individual incident or complaint referred to herein. Notably, as the court's case law makes clear, quote, What the court is required to do at the stage of making an order on provisional measures is to establish whether at least some of the acts alleged are capable of falling within the provisions of the convention 
at least some of the acts alleged by South Africa are clearly capable of falling within these provisions. 2. Jurisdiction of the Court South Africa and Israel are both members of the United Nations and therefore bound by the statute of the court, including Article 36.1, which provides that the court's jurisdiction, quote, comprises all matters specially provided for in treaties and conventions in force. South Africa and Israel are also parties to the Genocide Convention. Israel signed the Genocide Convention on 17 August 1949 and deposited its instrument of ratification on 9 March 1950, thereby becoming a party when the Genocide Convention entered into force on 12 January 1951. South Africa deposited its instrument of accession on 10 December 1998. It became applicable between the parties on the 90th day thereafter, pursuant to Article 13 of the Convention. Article 9 of the Convention provides, quote, Disputes between the contracting parties relating to the interpretation, application, or fulfillment of the present convention, including those relating to the responsibility of a state for genocide or for any of the other acts enumerated in Article 3, shall be submitted to the International Court of Justice at the request of any of the parties to the dispute. Neither South Africa nor Israel has entered any reservation to Article 9. South Africa has repeatedly and urgently expressed its concerns and condemnation in respect of Israel's acts and omissions which form the basis of this application. South Africa and other states' parties to the Genocide Convention have, in particular, made clear that Israel's actions in Gaza constitute genocide against the Palestinian people. By way of example, the presidents of Algeria, Bolivia, Brazil, Colombia, Cuba, Iran, Turkey, and Venezuela have all described Israel's actions as a genocide, as has the Palestinian president. State officials and representatives from Bangladesh, Egypt, Honduras, Iraq, Jordan, Libya, Malaysia, Namibia, Pakistan, Syria, and Tunisia have also referred to genocide or the risk thereof in Gaza, as have the heads of state and state officials from non-state parties to the Genocide Convention, including Qatar and Mauritania. Speaking on behalf of the Arab group at the 9,498th meeting of the United Nations Security Council on 8 December 2023, ahead of the United Nations Security Council vote on a ceasefire, Egypt's representative stated that the, quote, civilian fatalities in Gaza lay bare the lie that the war is against an armed group. Rather, it is a collective punishment and genocide against the Palestinian people citing the extensive destruction of civilian infrastructure and the targeting of United Nations staff members. He said that the forcible displacement of 85% of Gaza's people, living in dire circumstances, represents an effort to eliminate the Palestinian people. Having regard to the fact that the prohibition of genocide has the character of a peremptory norm and that the obligations under the Convention are owed erga omnes and erga omnes partes, Israel has been made fully aware of the grave concerns expressed by the international community, by states, parties to the Genocide Convention, and by South Africa in particular, as to Israel's failure to cease, prevent, and punish the commission of genocide. South Africa's concern has been expressed inter alia as follows. 
On 30 October 2023, the South African Department of International Relations and Cooperation issued a statement calling on the international community to hold Israel accountable for breaches of international law. Warning that the crime of genocide sadly looms large in Gaza. The statement recalled that President Lula da Silva of Brazil has called the attacks on Gaza a genocide, and that the South African Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, Naledi Pandor, addressing the United Nations Security Council on 24 October 2023, had also reminded the international community not to stand idle while another genocide is unfolding. On 7 November, addressing the South African National Assembly, South Africa's International Relations Minister warned, that the crime of genocide sadly looms large in the current situation in Gaza, recalling that in 1994 a genocide occurred on the African continent with much of the whole world watching as innocent people were massacred and underscoring that South Africa could not stand by and allow that to happen again. On 10 November 2023, the Director General of South Africa's Department of International Relations and Cooperation conducted a formal diplomatic démarche of the ambassador of the State of Israel to South Africa, advising him that while South Africa, quote, condemned the attacks on civilians by Hamas, which should be investigated for war crimes, the response by Israel was unlawful, and that South Africa wants the ICC to investigate the leadership of Israel for crimes including genocide. On 13 November 2023, at a meeting at the presidential residence with the leadership of the South Africa Jewish Board of Deputies, at which they called inter alia for the reopening of the South African Embassy in Israel, the President of South Africa, Mr. Cyril Ramaphosa, condemned the genocide that is being inflicted against the people of Palestine, including women and children, through collective punishment and ongoing bombardment of Gaza. On 17 November 2023, during the course of a state visit to Qatar, the President of South Africa announced that South Africa was referring, to the referring the situation in the state of Palestine to the International Criminal Court, expressing his abhorrence for what is happening right now in Gaza, which has now turned into a concentration camp where genocide is taking place. Later, on 17 November 2023, the Embassy of South Africa in The Hague, acting on behalf of South Africa, jointly with three other states, parties to the Genocide Convention, namely Bangladesh, Bolivia, and Comoros, and Djibouti, deferred the situation in the state of Palestine to the Office of the Prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, requesting that the prosecutor vigorously investigate crimes within the jurisdiction scope of the court, including the crime of genocide, as provided in Article 6a, b, and c of the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. On 21 November 2023, addressing the extraordinary joint meeting of BRICS, leaders and leaders in, of invited BRICS members on the situation in the Middle East, called to address a matter of grave global concern in the Middle East. The President of South Africa asserted that the deliberate denial of medicine, fuel, food, and water to the residents of Gaza is tantamount to genocide. On 12 December 2023, speaking at the 10th Emergency Special Session of the United Nations General Assembly, at which Israel was represented, the South African Ambassador to the United Nations stated that, quote, The events of the past six weeks in Gaza have illustrated that Israel is acting contrary to its obligations in terms of the Genocide Convention. 
she underscored that as a UN member state and owing to South Africa's painful past experience of a system of apartheid, this impresses on us as member states to take action in accordance with international law. On 21 December 2023, South Africa sent a note variable to the Embassy of Israel in South Africa, in which South Africa raised its concerns about, quote, credible reports that acts meeting the threshold of genocide or related crimes as defined in the 1948 Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of Genocide have been and may still be committed in the context of the, quote, conflict in Gaza. The note variable recalled that as a state party to the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, South Africa is under a treaty obligation to prevent genocide from occurring and therefore calls upon Israel, which is also a state party to the convention, to immediately cease hostilities in Gaza and to refrain from conduct constituting or failing to prevent violations of its obligations under the convention. South Africa, alarmed by the rhetoric from Israeli officials and others, also called on Israel to prevent and punish direct and public incitement to genocide. This served to communicate directly to Israel South Africa's claims regarding the fulfillment of its own obligations under the Genocide Convention and breaches by Israel of its obligations under the Genocide Convention and the detail thereof. Israel has not responded directly to South Africa's note variable sent on 21 December 2023. However, Israel has publicly rejected any suggestion that it had, has violated international law in its military campaign in Gaza. Notably, Israel has dismissed as, quote, outrageous and false the assertion that Israel's military attacks on Gaza meet, quote, the legal definition of genocide and are aimed at not just simply the killing of innocent people and the destruction of their livelihoods, but a systematic effort to empty Gaza of its people. Israel denies that its conduct in Gaza violates its obligations under the Genocide Convention, asserting that, quote, the accusation of genocide against Israel is not only wholly unfounded as a matter of fact and law, it is morally repugnant and anti-Semitic. Moreover, Israel has engaged and continues to engage in acts and omissions against the Palestinian people in Gaza, as have been asserted to be genocidal and, by its attitude and conduct, has refuted any suggestion that its actions in Gaza are constrained by its obligations under the Genocide Convention. Indeed, the Israeli Prime Minister asserted on 26 December 2023, quote, We are not stopping, we are continuing to fight, and we are deepening the fight in the coming days. And this will be a long battle, and it is not close to being over. Israel's own conduct, therefore, serves to underline the party's disagreement. South Africa has not resiled from its own position that it is responsible as a state party to the Genocide Convention to act to prevent genocide or a risk thereof in Gaza. According to the established case law of the court, a dispute is, a, quote, a disagreement on a point of law or fact, a conflict of legal views or interests between parties. Such a disagreement or positive opposition of the claim by one party by the other party need not necessarily be stated expressis verbis. The position or the attitude of a party can be established by inference, whatever the professed view of that party. 
There is plainly a dispute between Israel and South Africa relating to the interpretation and application of the Genocide Convention, going both to South Africa's compliance with its own obligation to prevent genocide and to Israel's compliance with its obligations not to commit genocide and to prevent and punish genocide, including the direct and public incitement to genocide and make reparations to its victims and offer assurances and guarantees of non-repetition. Given that South Africa's claim concerns its own obligations as a state party to the Genocide Convention to act to prevent genocide, to which Israel's acts and omissions give rise, South Africa plainly has standing in relation thereto. Moreover, given that any state party to the Genocide Convention, and not only a, spe a specially affected state, may invoke the responsibility of another state party with a view to ascertaining the alleged failure to comply with its obligations ergo omnis partes, and to bring that failure to an end. South Africa also has prima facie standing to submit to the court its dispute with Israel on the basis of alleged violations of obligations under the Genocide Convention. Therefore, pursuant to Article 36.1 of the Court's Statute and Article 9 of the Genocide Convention, the Court has jurisdiction to hear the claims submitted in the present application by South Africa against Israel. The Facts Introduction Since 7 October 2023, Israel has engaged in a large-scale military assault by land, air, and sea on the Gaza Strip, a narrow strip of land approximately of 365 square kilometers, one of the most densely populated places in the world. Gaza home to approximately 2.3 million people, almost half of them children, has been subject by Israel to what has been described as one of the heaviest conventional bombing campaigns in the history of modern warfare. By 29 October 2023 alone, it was estimated that 6,000 bombs per week had been dropped on the tiny enclave. In just over two months, Israel's military attacks had, quote, wreaked more destruction than the raising of Syria's Aleppo between 2012 and 2016, Ukraine's Maripol, or proportionally, the Allied bombing of Germany in World War II. The destruction wrought by Israel is so extreme that, quote, Gaza is now a different color from space. It's a different texture. As stated by the United Nations Secretary General in a letter dated 6 December 2023 to the President of the United Nations Security Council, of which the United Nations General Assembly took express note in Resolution ESIO 22 of 12 December 2023 on the protection of civilians and upholding legal and humanitarian obligations. Quote, Civilians throughout Gaza face grave danger. Since the start of Israel's military operation, more than 15,000 people have reportedly been killed, over 40% of whom were children. Thousands of others have been injured. More than half of all homes have been destroyed. Some 80% of the population of 2.2 million has been forcibly displaced into increasingly smaller areas. More than 1.1 million people have sought refuge in UNRWA facilities across Gaza, creating overcrowded, undignified, and unhygienic conditions. Others have nowhere to shelter and find themselves on the street. 
Explosive remnants of war are rendering areas uninhabitable. There is no effective protection of civilians. The healthcare system in Gaza is collapsing. Hospitals have turned into battlegrounds. Only 14 hospitals out of 36 facilities are even partially functional. The two major hospitals in South Gaza are operating at three times their bed capacity and are running out of basic supplies and fuel. They are also sheltering thousands of displaced persons. Under these circumstances, more people will die untreated in the coming days and weeks. Nowhere is safe in Gaza. Amid constant bombardment by the Israeli Defense Forces, and without shelter or the essentials to survive, I suspect public order to completely break down soon due to the desperate conditions, rendering even limited humanitarian assistance impossible. An even worse situation could unfold, including epidemic diseases and increased pressure for mass displacement into neighboring countries. While delivery of supplies through Rafah continues, quantities are insufficient and have dropped since the pause came to an end. We are simply unable to reach those in need inside Gaza. We are facing a severe risk of collapse of the humanitarian system. The situation is fast deteriorating into catastrophe, with potentially irreversible implications for Palestinians as a whole and for peace and security in the region. Such an outcome must be avoided at all costs. End quote. Since that letter was written, the numbers have risen even more starkly. At least 21,110 Palestinians in Gaza have been killed, and over 55,243 other Palestinians have been wounded, many severely. The death toll includes over 7,729 children, not including the 4,700 women and children still missing and presumed dead under the rubble. Entire multi-generational families have been wiped out completely. Over 355,000 homes, equivalent to more than 60% of Gaza's housing stock in Gaza, has been damaged or destroyed. 1.9 million Palestinians, approximately 85% of the total population, have been internally displaced. Many fled the north of the territory to the south, having been ordered to do so by Israel only to be bombed again in the south and told to flee once again further south or the southwest where they are reduced to living in makeshift tents and camps with no water, sanitation, or other facilities. Israel has bombed, shelled, and besieged Gaza's hospitals with only 13 out of 36 hospitals partially functional and no fully functioning hospital left in North Gaza. Gaza's healthcare system has all but collapsed, with reports of operations, including amputations and cesarean sections, taking place without anesthetic. A significant proportion of the wounded and sick are unable to access any or adequate care. Contagious and epidemic diseases are rife amongst the displaced Palestinian population, with experts warning of the risk of meningitis, cholera, and other outbreaks. The entire population in Gaza is at imminent risk of famine, whereas the proportion of households affected by acute food insecurity is the largest ever recorded, according to the Integrated Food Security Phase Classification, IPC. Experts warn that silent, slow deaths caused by hunger and thirst risk surpassing those violent deaths already caused by Israeli bombs and missiles.
The United Nations General Assembly has expressed, quote, grave concern over the catastrophic humanitarian situation in the Gaza Strip and the suffering of the Palestinian civilian population. With the United Nations Security Council noting in particular the disproportionate effect on children. In its resolution ES 1022 of 12 December 2023, the United Nations General Assembly also took express note of a letter dated 7 December 2023 from the Commissioner General of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees in the Near East, or UNRWA, addressed to the President of the General Assembly in the unprecedented letter, the Commissioner General, quote, predicts the collapse of the mandate he is expected to fulfill and calls for an end to the decimation of Gaza and of its people. Background The Gaza Strip, or Gaza Gaza is a narrow strip of land bordered to the west by the Mediterranean Sea, to the south by Egypt, and to the north and east by Israel. Together with the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, it is one of the two constituent territories of the Occupied Palestinian Territory, or OPT. Occupied by Israel in 1967 and of the State of Palestine, recognized by South Africa on 15 February 1995 and accorded non-member observer state status in the United Nations on 29 November 2012. The population of Gaza consists of approximately 2.3 million people, over half of whom are children. 80% of Palestinians in Gaza are refugees and their descendants, from towns and villages in what is now the State of Israel, expelled or forced to flee during the mass displacement, and of over 750,000 Palestinians, or Nakba, during the establishment of the State of Israel. The Nakba and the mass displacement associated with it, therefore, features prominently in the history and consciousness of Palestinians in Gaza, as it does for the wider Palestinian people. Palestinians in Gaza form a substantial part of the Palestinian national, racial, and ethnical group. They are a prominent part of the group, making up the population of one of the two constituent territories of the state of Palestine. They are also a quantitatively substantial part of the Palestinian population of the state of Palestine under occupation, which counts approximately 5.48 million people. Gaza comprises five governorates, the Gaza North and Gaza governorates constituting the North, stretch from the north of Wadi Gaza towards Erez Crossing, a pedestrian crossing into Israel also known as the Bayat Hanun Crossing. The north is ordinarily home to approximately 1.1 million Palestinians, many concentrated in Gaza City, with approximately 713,488 inhabitants, as well as in Bayat Lahaya and Bayat Hanun, and in the Beach and Jabalaya refugee camps. It is where Gaza's largest hospital, Al-Shifa Medical Hospital, is situated, as well as the Kamal Adwan Hospital. The Deir al-Bala Governorate, the middle area, ordinarily counts 302,507 inhabitants, primarily in Deir al-Bala city, as well as in al-Maghazi, on Nusirat, al-Bariyish, and Deir al-Bala refugee camps. 
It is where Gaza's only power plant is located. The Khan Yunus and Rafa governorates, quote, the south, are below Deir al-Bala governorate and extend to the Rafa crossing with Egypt. The major population centers in the south are Khan Yunus and Rafa, as well as the Khan Yunus and Rafa refugee camps. The Karem Shalom crossing, also known as Karem Abu Salem crossing, is located four kilometers west of Rafa. The south is where the Nasser Hospital is located. The South's pre-October 2023 population stood at approximately 673,844 inhabitants. The middle area and the South now accommodate more than 1.2 million internally displaced persons in 98 UNRWA facilities and tens of thousands in makeshift tents in Al-Mawasi area, a Bedouin Palestinian town in a small strip of mostly undeveloped sand along Gaza's Mediterranean coast identified by Israel on the resumption of hostilities in the first week of December 2023 as a purportedly safe zone. Around 160,000 more displaced Palestinians are believed to remain in UNRWA facilities in the north, as well as others sheltering in other locations. Until 2005, Gaza, like the West Bank today, was occupied by Israeli military forces on the ground. However, in 2005, Israel unilaterally disengaged from Gaza, dismantling its military bases and relocating Israeli settlers from settlements in Gaza back to Israel and into the occupied West Bank. Notwithstanding its disengagement, Israel continues to exercise control over the airspace, territorial waters, land crossings, water electricity, electromagnetic sphere, and civilian infrastructure in Gaza as well as over key governmental functions, such as the management of the Palestinian Population Registry for Gaza. Given that continuing effective control by Israel over the territory, Gaza is still considered by the international community to be under belligerent occupation by Israel. The near-total control exercised by Israel over access to Gaza and over its water, fuel, electricity, and food supplies has been demonstrated starkly since 7 October, 2023. Entry and exit by air and sea to Gaza has been prohibited since the early 1990s, with Israel operating only two crossing points, Eretz Pedestrian and Karem Shalom Goods, through which Palestinians in Gaza could access the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, for business, trade, health care, and social and family functions. However, Israel imposed a stringent blockade of Gaza following Hamas's electoral victory in 2006 that was followed by inter-Palestinian violence, declaring the entire territory to be a hostile territory. Existing restrictions on the movement of persons were significantly tightened, with most Palestinians in Gaza being ineligible for permits to travel, leading to prolonged indefinite separation for many Palestinian families. The few who are eligible to travel did not necessarily receive permits and almost always encountered delays and difficulties in the process. Between 2008 and 2021, the World Health Organization recorded that 839 Palestinians from Gaza had died while waiting for medical permits to leave Gaza for urgent medical treatment. The majority of permits were for day laborers and agricultural traders, primarily to undertake low-skilled work in Israel and on Israeli settlements in the West Bank. Between 2007 and 2010, 
Israel regulated food imports into Gaza in accordance with calories consumed per person to limit the transfers of food to a humanitarian minimum without causing hunger or malnutrition. Israel thereafter applies a dual-use system to imports into Gaza, severely restricting the entry of goods by prohibiting goods considered to be capable of having a dual civilian military use. Israel's parallel implementation of a wide buffer zone inside Gaza's eastern border fence, estimated to restrict access to approximately 24% of Gaza, severely impacts internal food supply by reducing the main agricultural area for farming. Israel also made fishing extremely hazardous for Palestinians who have not had full access to the fishing zone of 20 nautical miles stipulated in the Oslo Accords. Interim agreements concluded between the PLO and Israel in the early 1990s. The naval blockade policed by Israeli forces through the use of force, arrests, and the confiscation of fishing equipment severely reduced the fishing catchment area for Gaza's fishermen to polluted waters immediately off the coastline, leading to overfishing impacting sustainability. As long ago as 2015, the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development warned that the restrictive measures imposed by Israel risked Gaza becoming uninhabitable by 2020. In 2020, the United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights in the Palestinian Territories, occupied since 1967, described the impact of Israel's blockade on Gaza as having turned Gaza, quote, from a low-income society with modest but growing export ties to the regional and international economy, to an impoverished ghetto with a decimated economy and collapsing social service system. In 2022, he described the situation as follows. Quote, In Gaza, the apparent strategy of Israel is the indefinite warehousing of an unwanted population of 2 million Palestinians, whom it has confined to a narrow strip of land through its comprehensive 15-year-old air, land, and sea blockade, with further restrictions by Egypt on the southern border of Gaza. Ban Ki-moon has called this political quarantining of the population a collective punishment, which is a serious breach of international law. The World Bank reported in 2021 that Gaza had undergone a multi-decade process of de-development and de-industrialization, resulting in a 45% unemployment rate and a 60% poverty rate, with 80% of the population dependent on some form of international assistance. In significant part because of the hermetic sealing of the access of Gaza to the outside world, the coastal aquifer, the sole source of natural drinking water in Gaza, has become polluted and unfit for human consumption because of contamination by seawater and sewage, substantially driving up water costs for an already destitute population. Gaza is heavily dependent on external sources, Israel and Egypt, for power, and Palestinians live with rolling power blackouts of between 12 and 20 hours daily, severely impairing daily living in the economy. The entry and export of goods is strictly controlled by Israel, which has throttled the local economy. The healthcare system in Gaza is flat on its back, with serious shortages of healthcare professionals, inadequate treatment equipment, and low supplies of drugs and medicines. Palestinians in Gaza can rarely travel outside of Gaza, which is a denial of their fundamental right to freedom of movement. 
More acutely, they have endured four highly asymmetrical wars with Israel over the past 13 years, with enormous loss of civilian life and immense property destruction. The suffering was acknowledged by Antonio Guterres in May 2021 when he stated, quote, If there is a hell on earth, it is the lives of the children in Gaza. Between 29 September 2000 and 7 October 2023, approximately 7,569 Palestinians, including 1,699 children, were killed, including in those four highly asymmetrical wars, as well as other smaller military assaults, with tens of thousands of others injured. A further 214 Palestinians, including 46 children, were killed during the Great March of Return, a large-scale peaceful protest along the separation fence between Gaza and Israel, in which thousands of Palestinians participated every Friday for over 18 months, demanding that the blockade imposed on Gaza be lifted and the return of Palestinian refugees to their homes and villages in Israel. On one particular lethal day alone, Israel killed 60 Palestinian protesters. As determined by the Independent Commission of Inquiry on the protests in the occupied Palestinian territory, quote, During these weekly demonstrations, the Israeli security forces killed and gravely injured civilians who were neither participating directly in hostilities nor posing an imminent threat to life. Among those shot were children, paramedics, journalists, and persons with disabilities. Those killed by Israeli soldiers firing from behind the separation fence included three medics and two journalists. A total of over 36,100 Palestinians, including nearly 8,800 children, were injured by Israel, including 4,903 people who were shot in the lower limbs, many while standing hundreds of meters away from snipers unarmed. 156 of them had to have at least one limb amputated, and over 1,200 required specialized limb reconstruction treatment. The commission found that the maiming was not accidental. The rules of engagement adopted by Israel permitted snipers to shoot at the legs of the, quote, major inciters. One Israeli soldier admitted that he shot 42 knees in one day. The commission found that there were reasonable grounds to believe that Israeli snipers intentionally shot children knowing them to be children, and they also intentionally shot healthcare workers and journalists, despite seeing that they were clearly marked as such. It further found reasonable grounds to believe that Israeli snipers shot disabled demonstrators intentionally, despite seeing that they had visible disabilities and despite them not presenting an imminent threat. Other reports by United Nations bodies and mandates have repeatedly found Israel to have acted in serious violation of international law in its previous military attacks on Gaza. By way of example, Report of the Human Rights Inquiry Commission established pursuant to Commission Resolution S5-1 of 19 October 2000. Quote, The IDF apparently on grounds of military necessity has destroyed homes and laid waste a significant amount of agricultural land, especially in Gaza, which is already land-starved. 
Statistics show that 94 homes have been demolished and 7,024 dunams of agricultural land bulldozed in Gaza. Damage to private houses is put at 9.5 million U.S. dollars and damage to agricultural land at about 27 million U.S. dollars. Houses situated on this land had been destroyed and families compelled to live in tents. Water wells in the vicinity had also been completely destroyed. The commission found it difficult to believe that such destruction, generally carried out in the middle of the night and without advance warning, was justified on grounds of military necessity. To the commission, it seemed that such destruction of property had been carried out in an intimidatory manner, unrelated to security, disrespectful of civilian well-being and going well beyond the needs of military necessity. The evidence suggests that destruction of property and demolition of houses have been replicated elsewhere in the West Bank and Gaza. Palestinians, like other people, are deeply attached to their homes and agricultural land. The demolition of homes and the destruction of olive and citrus trees, nurtured by farmers over many years, has caused untold human suffering to persons unconnected with the present violence. The Commission concludes that the IDF has engaged in excessive use of force at the expense of life and property in Palestine. Report of the High-Level Fact-Finding Mission to Bayat Hanun, established under Council Resolutions S-3-1, 1 September 2008, by Archbishop Desmond Tutu and Professor Christine Chinkin. Quote, the mission expresses its sympathy to all victims of the shelling on 8 November 2006 of Bayat Hanun. The attack took lives, inflicted horrendous physical and mental injuries, tore families apart, destroyed homes, took away livelihoods, and traumatized a population. Its aftermath compounded those ills. In the absence of a well-founded explanation from the Israeli military who is in sole possession of the relevant facts, the mission must conclude that there is a possibility that the shelling of Bayat Hanun constituted a war crime as defined in the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. One victim of the Bayat Hanun shelling was the rule of law. There has been no accountability for an act that killed 19 people and injured many more. Report of the United Nations Fact-Finding Mission on the Gaza Conflict established pursuant to Human Rights Council Resolution S-9-1 of 12 January 2009. Quote, the mission did not find any evidence to support the allegations that hospital facilities were used by the Gaza authorities or by Palestinian armed groups to shield military activities, or that ambulances were used to transport combatants or for other military purposes. On the basis of its own investigations and the statements by United Nations officials, the mission excludes that Palestinian armed groups engaged in combat activities from United Nations facilities that were used as shelters during the military operations. The mission investigated four incidents in which the Israeli armed forces coerced Palestinian civilian men at gunpoint to take part in house searches during the military operations. The mission concludes that this practice amounts to the use of Palestinian civilians as human shields and is therefore prohibited by international humanitarian law. The Palestinian men used as human shields were questioned under the threat of death or injury to extract information about Hamas, Palestinian combatants, 
and tunnels. This constitutes a further violation of international humanitarian law. In addition to arbitrary deprivation of liberty and violation of due process rights, the cases of the detained Palestinian civilians highlight a common thread of the interaction between Israeli soldiers and Palestinian civilians, which also emerge clearly in many cases discussed elsewhere in the report. Continuous and systematic abuse, outrages on personal dignity, humiliating and degrading treatment, contrary to the fundamental principles of international humanitarian law and human rights law. The mission concludes that this treatment constitutes the infliction of a collective penalty on these civilians and amounts to measures of intimidation and terror. In assessing the Israeli strikes against the Legislative Council building and the main prison, the mission first of all notes that Hamas is an organization with distinct political, military, and social welfare components. The mission rejects the analysis of present and former senior Israeli officials that because of the alleged nature of the Hamas government in Gaza, the distinction between civilian and military parts of the government infrastructure is no longer relevant in relation to Israel's conflict with Hamas. The mission is of the view that this is a dangerous argument that should be vigorously rejected as incompatible with the cardinal principle of distinction. International humanitarian law prohibits attacks against targets that do not make an effective contribution to military action. Attacks that are not directed against military or dual-use objectives are violations of the laws of war, no matter how promising the attacker considers them from a strategic or political point of view. The warning to go to city centers came at the start of the ground invasion. In the mission's view, it was unreasonable to assume, in the circumstances, that civilians would indeed leave their homes. As a consequence, the conclusion that allegedly formed part of the logic of soldiers on the ground, that those who had stayed put had to be combatants, was wholly unwarranted. Taking into account the weapons used and, in particular, the use of white phosphorus in and around a hospital that the Israeli armed forces knew was not only dealing with scores of injured and wounded, but also giving shelter to several hundred civilians, the mission finds, based on all the information available to it, that in directly striking the hospital and the ambulance depot, the Israeli armed forces in the circumstances violated Article 18 of the Fourth Geneva Convention and violated customary international law in relation to proportionality. The mission found that the systemic destruction of food, production, water services, and construction industries was related to the overall policy of disproportionate destruction of a significant part of Gaza's infrastructure. Through its overly broad framing of the supporting infrastructure, the Israeli armed forces have sought to construct a scope for their activities that in the mission's view was designed to have inevitably dire consequences for the non-combatants in Gaza. Statements by political and military leaders prior to and during the military operations in Gaza leave little doubt that disproportionate destruction and violence against civilians were part of a deliberate policy. The Gaza military operations were, according to the Israeli government, thoroughly and extensively planned. While the Israeli government has sought to portray its operations as essentially a response to rocket attacks in the exercise of its right to self-defense, the mission considers the plan to have been directed, at least in part, at a different target, 
the people of Gaza as a whole. The mission recognizes fully that the Israeli armed forces, like any army attempting to act within the parameters of international law, must avoid taking undue risks with their soldiers' lives, but neither can they transfer that risk onto the lives of civilian men, women, and children. The fundamental principles of distinction and proportionality apply on the battlefield, whether that battlefield is a built-up urban area or an open field. The repeated failure to distinguish between combatants and civilians appears to the mission to have been the result of deliberate guidance issued to soldiers, as described by some of them, and not the result of occasional lapses. It is clear from evidence gathered by the mission that the destruction of food supply, installations, water sanitation systems, concrete factories, and residential houses was a result of a deliberate and systematic policy by the Israeli armed forces. It was not carried out because those objects presented a military threat or opportunity, but to make the daily process of living and dignified living more difficult for the civilian population. Allied to the systemic destruction of the economic capacity of the Gaza Strip, there appears also to have been an assault on the dignity of the people. This was seen not only in the use of human shields and unlawful detentions, sometimes in unacceptable conditions, but also in the vandalizing of houses when occupied and the way in which people were treated when their houses were entered. The graffiti on the walls, the obscenities and often racist slogans, all constituted an overall image of humiliation and dehumanization of the Palestinian population. The operations were carefully planned in all their phases. Legal opinions and advice were given throughout the planning stages and at certain operational levels during the campaign. There were almost no mistakes made according to the government of Israel. It is in these circumstances that Mission concludes that what occurred in just over three weeks at the end of 2008 and the beginning of 2009 was a deliberately disproportionate attack designed to punish, humiliate, and terrorize a civilian population, radically diminish its local economic capacity both to work and to provide for itself, and to force upon it an ever-increasing sense of dependency and vulnerability. The mission found that the Israeli armed forces in Gaza rounded up and detained large groups of persons protected under the Fourth Geneva Convention. The mission finds that their detention cannot be justified either as a detention of, quote, unlawful combatants or as intermittent of civilians for imperative reasons of security. The mission also finds that the Israeli armed forces unlawfully and wantonly attacked and destroyed without military necessity a number of food production or food processing objects and facilities, including mills, land and greenhouses, drinking water installations, farms and animals, in violation of the principle of distinction. From the facts ascertained by it, the mission finds that this destruction was carried out with the purpose of denying sustenance to the civilian population in violation of customary law reflected in Article 54.2 of the First Additional Protocol. The mission further concludes that the Israel Armed Forces carried out widespread destruction of private residential houses, water wells, and water tanks unlawfully and wantonly. End quote. 
from the report of the Independent Commission of Inquiry established pursuant to Human Rights Council Resolution S-211 of 24 June 2015. The large number of targeted attacks against residential buildings and the fact that such attacks continue throughout the operation, even after the dire impact of these attacks on civilians and civilian objects became apparent, raise concern that the strikes may have constituted military tactics reflective of a broader policy, approved at least tacitly by decision-makers at the highest levels of the government of Israel. The fact that the Israeli Defense Forces did not modify the manner in which they conducted their operations after initial episodes of shelling resulted in a large number of civilian deaths indicates that their policies governing the use of artillery in densely populated areas may not be in conformity with international humanitarian law. Destruction by artillery fire, airstrikes, and bulldozers may have been adopted as a tactic of war. Some destruction may arguably be the result of the legitimate attempts of the Israeli Defense Forces to dismantle tunnels and to protect its soldiers. The concentration of destruction in localities close to the Green Line in some areas amounting to 100%, and the systematic way in which these areas were flattened one after the other, however, raise concerns that such extensive destruction was not required by imperative military necessity. If confirmed, this would constitute a grave breach of Article 147 of the Fourth Geneva Convention, which is a war crime. Warnings to evacuate were meant to create sterile combat zones, and the people remaining in the area would no longer be considered civilians and thus benefit from the protection afforded by their civilian status. For example, the head of the doctrine desk at the infantry corps headquarters reportedly stated, quote, In peacetime security, soldiers stand facing a civilian population, but in wartime, there is no civilian population, just an enemy. Inferring that anyone remaining in an area that has been the object of a warning is an enemy or a person engaging in terrorist activity or issuing instructions to this effect contributes to creating an environment conducive to attacks against civilians. Those civilians choosing not to heed a warning do not lose the protection granted by their status. The only way in which civilians lose their protection from attack is by directly participating in the hostilities. Merely issuing a warning does not absolve the Israel Defense Forces of their legal obligations to protect civilian life. An examination of actions by the Israeli Defense Forces in Shujaia in July and Rafah on 1 August indicates that the protection of Israeli soldiers significantly influenced the conduct of the Israeli Defense Forces in these operations, at times overriding any concern for minimizing civilian casualties. While force protection is a legitimate objective, the Commission has the distinct impression that when soldiers' lives were at stake or there was a risk of capture. The Commission believes that the military culture created by such policy priorities may have been a factor contributing to the decision to unleash massive firepower in Rafa and Shujaia in utter disregard of its devastating impact on the civilian population. Moreover, applying this protocol in the context of a densely populated environment through the use of heavy weaponry predictably leads to violations of the principles of distinction and proportionality. End quote.
From the report of the detailed findings of the Independent Commission of Inquiry established pursuant to Human Rights Council Resolution S-21-1 of 23 July 2014, published on 24 June 2015. Quote, The sheer number of shells fired as well as the reported dropping of over 100 one-ton bombs in a short period of time in a densely populated area, together with the reported use of an artillery barrage, raise questions as to the respect by the IDF of the rules of distinction, precautions, and proportionality. These methods and means employed by the IDF could not, in such a small and densely populated area, be directed at a specific military target and could not adequately distinguish between civilians and civilian objects and military objectives as required by IHL. That's international humanitarian law. The information available also indicates that during the Shujaia's operation on 19 and 20 July, the IDF violated the prohibition of treating several distinct individual military objectives in a densely populated area as one single military objective. Therefore, there are strong indications that the IDF's Shuja'iya operations on 19 and 20 July was conducted in violation of the prohibition of indiscriminate attacks and may amount to a war crime. The Shuja'iya operation also raises serious concerns that the IDF did not conform with its obligation to take precautionary measures in attack. The choice of the methods and means used by the IDF cannot be reconciled with the obligation to take constant care to spare civilians and civilian objects, or, at the very least, to minimize incidental loss of civilian life and damage to civilian objects in a densely populated area. The extensive devastation carried out by the IDF in Kuza'a, in particular in raising of entire areas of the town by artillery fire, airstrikes, and bulldozers, indicates that the IDF carried out destructions that were not required by military necessity. The extent of the destruction combined with the statements made during the operation by the commander of the brigade responsible for the Kuza'a's operation to the effect that, quote, Palestinians have to understand that this does not pay off, are indicative of a punitive intent in the action of the IDF in Kuzaa and may constitute collective punishment. Information received by the Commission suggests that in several cases, Palestinians who have been detained mostly in their homes in Kuzaa had been insulted, beaten, threatened to be killed, and otherwise ill-treated by IDF soldiers. In some cases, the treatment described by some of the witnesses could amount to torture. Other incidents and alleged patterns of behavior in Kuzaa's raise a number of concerns under international law. These incidents include the incidents in which civilians were allegedly shot at by IDF soldiers, attacks against ambulances, and the failure to provide medical assistance to wounded persons. The IDF has argued that the high number of buildings destroyed in Operation Protective Edge resulted from the targeting of terrorist infrastructure and intense fighting on the ground. However, the evidence gathered by the Commission, including the assessment of the episodes above, video and photo materials, observations by UNITAR, UNOSAT, 
and anecdotal testimonies by IDF soldiers indicate that the vast scale of destruction may have been adopted as tactics of war. Alongside the toll on civilian lives, there was an enormous destruction of civilian property in Gaza. 18,000 housing units were destroyed in whole or in part. Having a home has an emotional dimension, the place where memories are stored and often many other items to which inhabitants' memories relate. Having one's home destroyed or severely damaged means being deprived of more than physical structure. It also directly impacts on the very essence of one's existence. Questions arise regarding the role of senior officials who set military policy in several areas examined by the Commission, such as in the attacks of the Israeli Defense Forces on residential buildings, the use of artillery and other explosive weapons with wide area effects in densely populated areas, the destruction of entire neighborhoods in Gaza, and the regular resort to live ammunition by the Israeli Defense Forces, notably in crowd control situations in the West Bank. In many cases, individual soldiers may have been following agreed military policy, but it may be that the policy itself violates the laws of war. End quote. From the report of the Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights in the Palestinian Territories Occupied Since 1967 of 22 October 2021, the Special Rapporteur remarked that, quote, regrettably the international community's remarkable tolerance for Israeli exceptionalism in its conduct of the occupation has allowed real politic to trump rights, power to supplant justice, and impunity to undercut accountability. From the report of the Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights in the Palestinian Territories Occupied Since 1967, from 22 December 2020. The Special Rapporteur found that the actions of Israel towards the protected population of Gaza amount to collective punishment under international law. The two million Palestinians of Gaza are not responsible for the deeds of Hamas and other militant groups, yet they have endured a substantial share of the punishment, intentionally so. From the report of the Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights in the Palestinian Territories Occupied Since 1967, from 28 August 2023. As regards the treatment by Israel of Palestinian detainees, the Special Rapporteur found, quote, instances of torture and cruel, inhumane, or degrading treatment, including sexual assaults, being hooded and blindfolded, forced to stand for long hours, tied to a chair in painful positions, deprived of sleep and food, or exposed to loud music for long hours, and being punished with solitary confinement. In relation to Palestinian children in particular, the Special Rapporteur determined that they endure severe ill-treatment during interrogation. In 2019, the then Prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, ICC, held that there is a reasonable basis to believe that the Israeli army committed war crimes in the context of the 2014 hostilities in Gaza in particular. Recently, in October 2023, the prosecutor has confirmed that his office has an ongoing investigation with jurisdiction over Palestine, and this includes jurisdiction over current events in Gaza and also current events in the West Bank. The prosecutor noted that Israel's impeding 
of relief supplies may constitute a crime within the court's jurisdiction. He further indicated that his office would scrutinize all information in relation to Israeli attacks on dwelling houses, schools, hospitals, churches, and mosques for compliance with international humanitarian law. The prosecutor has not given any more recent indication as to the state of progress of any investigation in relation to the situation in the state of Palestine, including in response to the request of 17 November 2023 by South Africa and other states that the ICC investigate inter alia the crime of genocide. The West Bank, including East Jerusalem. The West Bank, including East Jerusalem, the larger constituent part of the occupied Palestinian territory, comprises 5,655 square kilometers, with a population of 2.9 million Palestinians, is geographically separated from Gaza and fragmented by Israeli settlements. The Oslo Accords divided administrative competences over three areas of the West Bank, areas A, B, and C, not including East Jerusalem, between the Palestinian Authority and Israel, the occupying power. Area A, comprising 18% of the West Bank, is stated to be under the full administrative control of the Palestinian Authority. Area B, comprising 22% of the West Bank, is under the administrative control of the Palestinian Authority and the security control of Israel. And Area C, comprising 60% of the West Bank, is under full Israeli administrative and security control. In 1967, Israel purportedly annexed occupied East Jerusalem to its territory. And in 1980, it incorporated a provision into its basic law, claiming Jerusalem united as the capital of Israel, a move censured by the United Nations Security Council as null and void, and to be rescinded forthwith. Since 1967, Israel has constructed 279, quote, settlements for Israeli civilians across the West Bank, including 14 settlements in East Jerusalem, appropriating 750,000 dunams, which is equivalent of 185,000 acres of Palestinian land. The United Nations Security Council has repeatedly declared that the establishment of settlements by Israel has no legal validity and constitutes a flagrant violation under international law and a major obstacle to the achievement of the two-state solution and a just, lasting, and comprehensive peace. Regardless, the number of Israeli settlers transferred into the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, has increased dramatically, from an estimated 247,000 at the time of the Oslo Accords to over 700,000 in 2023. The prosecutor of the International Criminal Court has determined that there is a reasonable basis to believe that members of the Israeli authorities have committed war crimes in relation inter alia to the transfer of Israeli civilians into the West Bank. The United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights in the Palestinian Territories, occupied since 1967, described the situation in the West Bank as follows, quote, There, the Palestinians are subject to a harsh and arbitrary legal system, quite unequal to that enjoyed by the Israeli settlers. Much of the West Bank is off-limits to Palestinians, 
and they regularly endure significant restrictions on their freedom of movement through closures, roadblocks, and the need for hard-to-obtain travel permits. Access to the natural resources of the occupied territory, especially to water, is disproportionately allocated to Israel and the settlers. Similarly, the planning system administrated by the occupying power for housing and commercial development throughout the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, is deeply discriminatory in favor of settlement construction, while imposing significant barriers on Palestinians, including ongoing land confiscation, home demolitions, and the denial of building permits. Israel employs practices that in some cases may amount to the forcible transfer of Palestinians primarily those living in rural areas, as a means of confiscating land for settlements, military weapons training areas, and other uses exclusive to the occupying power that have little or nothing to do with its legitimate security requirements. As for East Jerusalem, the occupation has increasingly detached it from its traditional national, economic, cultural, and family connections with the West Bank because of the wall, the growing ring of settlements, and related checkpoints, and the discriminatory permit regime. It is neglected by the municipality in terms of services and infrastructure. The occupation has depleted its economy, and the Palestinians have only a small land area on which to build housing. End quote. The institutionalized regime of discriminatory laws policies and practices applied by Israel subjects Palestinians to what constitutes an apartheid regime. Palestinians in the West Bank are contained behind a segregating wall subjected to discriminatory land zoning and planning policies, punitive and administrative house demolitions, violent Israeli army incursions into Palestinian villages, towns, cities, and refugee camps, including in Area A, routine violent Israeli raids on their homes, arbitrary arrests and indefinitely renewable administrative detention, which is internment without trial, and the dual legal system pursuant to which Palestinians are tried under Israeli military legislation in Israeli military courts, without basic protections of international humanitarian and human rights law while Israeli settlers living in the same territory are subject to a different legal regime and tried in Israeli civilian courts with full due process. Palestinians in the West Bank are also subject to routine violence by Israeli soldiers and armed settlers. Prior to 7 October 2023, between 1 January and 6 October 2023, 199 Palestinians had been killed by Israeli soldiers or settlers in the West Bank, and 9,000 more had been injured. By September 2023, Save the Children had already declared 2023 the deadliest year for Palestinian children in the West Bank since 2005, with at least 38 Palestinian children having been killed. Since 7 October 2023, a further 295 Palestinians, including 77 children, have been killed by Israeli soldiers and settlers, and a further 3,803, including 576 children, wounded, many seriously. A total of 495 Palestinians have been killed in total in the West Bank, making it, quote, the deadliest year for Palestinians since 2005. 
In a wave of arbitrary mass arrests, Israel has detained more than 3,000 Palestinians from the West Bank and East Jerusalem, including for social media posts relating to the situation in Gaza. Israel significantly increased the number of Palestinians held in administrative detention without charge or trial to 2,070. Thousands of Palestinians from Gaza working in Israel were also arbitrarily arrested and detained, with 3,200 being forcibly returned to Gaza on 3 November 2023, into intense full-scale bombardments. Reports that the Palestinian laborers were mistreated on arrests and subject to physical violence, abuse, and humiliation are widespread. Many Palestinian adult and child detainees from the West Bank, released in exchange for Israeli hostages, report also severe ill treatment, serious beatings and other outrages to personal dignity since 7 October 2023 in particular, alongside restrictions on access to food, water, medical treatment, and electricity in Israeli detention. Six Palestinian detainees from the West Bank have died in Israeli custody since 7 October 2023 in particular. Nineteen Israeli prison guards were reportedly questioned for beating to death one of the prisoners, Thayer Abu Asab, in Ketziot prison. Since 7 October 2023, Israeli forces have carried out airstrikes and military raids on refugee camps in the West Bank, killing many Palestinians, bulldozing roads, and imposing severe restrictions on movement. There have been 236 attacks on health care, including hospitals, in the West Bank, with Israeli forces detaining health care staff and ambulances and preventing ambulances from accessing the wounded. Armed Israeli settler attacks on Palestinians, overtly supported by Israeli politicians, have also escalated dramatically. Settlers, often accompanied by Israeli soldiers, have killed at least eight Palestinians and injured at least 85 others, instilling terror among Palestinians, especially farming communities, and damaging property. 2,186 Palestinians in the West Bank, including 1,058 children, have been internally displaced since 7 October 2023 as a result of extreme Israeli settler violence alongside punitive or administrative house demolitions carried out by the Israeli army and damage caused to homes during Israeli military raids and operations. The prosecutor of the International Criminal Court indicated in December 2023 that he was, quote, accelerating investigations into Israeli settler attacks in the West Bank. Israel's actions in the West Bank since 7 October 2023, including its support for and failure to prevent or punish Israeli settlers for incitement and violence against Palestinians and Palestinian property, including the driving out of vulnerable Palestinian communities from their lands, are intrinsically connected to Israel's actions in Gaza and provide at the very least important context to Israel's violation of the Genocide Convention. The Attacks in Israel of 7 October 2023 Israel's military assault in Gaza and its heightened military campaign in the West Bank were launched in response to an attack in Israel on 7 October 2023, dubbed Operation Al-Aqsa Flood, by two Palestinian armed groups, the military wing of Hamas, the Iz Ad-Din Al-Qassam Brigades, and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. 
The groups launched a large barrage of rockets towards Israel, breached the Israeli fence besieging Gaza, and attacked Israeli military bases and civilian towns, as well as music festival attended by thousands of young people, in circumstances being investigated by the prosecutor of the ICC. South Africa unequivocally condemns the targeting of Israeli and foreign national civilians by Hamas and other Palestinian armed groups and the taking of hostages on 7 October 2023, as expressly recorded in its note variable to Israel of 21 December 2023. Since 7 October 2023, over 1,200 Israelis and former foreign nationals have been killed in Israel, according to figures provided by the Israeli authorities, including 36 children. The vast majority on 7 October 23, 2023 itself. Approximately 240 civilians, including elderly people, women and children, and Israeli soldiers were taken as hostages into Gaza. Only 110 of them have been released to date in exchange for 240 Palestinians, including elderly people, women and children, imprisoned or administratively detained by Israel. 57 hostages are reported to have been killed in Israeli bombardments of Gaza. A further three hostages are confirmed to have been shot dead by Israeli soldiers in Gaza. Rockets continue to be fired from Gaza into Israeli territory, leading to the ongoing evacuation of tens of thousands of Israelis, particularly from communities bordering the security fences with Gaza and Lebanon. The ICC prosecutor has warned that hostage-taking, quote, represents a grave breach to the Geneva Conventions, and the taking and holding of children is an egregious breach of fundamental principles of humanity. United Nations General Assembly's Resolutions ES-10-21 and ES-10-22 condemn acts of violence aimed at Israeli civilians and call for the release of all civilians who are being illegally held captive. United Nations Security Council Resolution 2712 also calls for the immediate and unconditional release of all hostages held by Hamas and other groups. In response to the attacks of 7 October 2023, Israel vowed to, quote, crush and eliminate Hamas and, quote, to clear out the hostile forces that infiltrated our territory and restore the security. On 7 October 2023, the Israeli Prime Minister declared that, quote, the IDF will immediately use all its strength to destroy Hamas's capabilities. We will destroy them and we will forcefully avenge this dark day that they have forced on the state of Israel and its citizens. On 9 October 2023, the Prime Minister announced that, quote, Israel is at war. Both he and the Israeli president have invoked the right of self-defense as justification for Israel's ongoing military activities in Gaza. The escalation and hostilities between Israel and Hamas, dubbed the Swords of Iron War by Israel, has been referred to in international Western media and commentary as the Israel-Hamas War. For a couple of reasons, I'm going to break the recording of this document here. For one, we're about one third of the way through the document from a page count perspective. Uh, for another, the next section of this submission is genocidal acts committed against the Palestinian people. And I expect there'll be some more detailed um, descriptions of some of the brutality inflicted 
from the Israeli Defense Forces on the people of Gaza in this section uh, related to the genocide. So I want to give you all an option to not listen to the next part. So that concludes part one of the reading of the application instituting proceedings in the name of the Republic of South Africa against the state of Israel pursuant to article 41 submitted to the international criminal court. And that will conclude this episode of you can't be neutral uh, for episodes and news about all of my podcasts. You can follow me in the Fediverse and moving train media at collectiva dot social you can listen to this and all my podcasts playing 24 7 at movingtrainradio.com thanks for listening